Hey everyone, you can listen to all seasons of As She Rises, including the new season three, ad-free on Wondery Plus. Hey everybody, it's Grace. I want to tell you about another podcast that's full of stories that will make you stop, slow down, and reflect. It's called Talk Easy, and it's a different kind of weekly interview show. Every Sunday, Sam Fragoso offers a space for guests to take a pause, share how they arrived at the place they are today, and express their dreams of where they hope to go tomorrow. Rigorously researched, Talk Easy invites actors, writers, activists, and musicians to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard them do before. Some of my favorite interviews include talks with Margaret Atwood, Malcolm Gladwell, Janelle Monet, and my personal favorite, Hassan Minaj. If that sounds eclectic, it's because it is. It's driven by inquisitiveness about who these people are and who we become. Talk Easy is a place where people sound like people. So sit back, take a beat, and enjoy Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Dinetra. The silver breath of a thousand horses. And it is only yours that I seek. I happily step over into existence, into our canyons, our rivers, our mountains, our valleys. Sky beauty above and earth beauty below. Oh, how I've missed you. To think I was away for so long and you were always there, waiting on the red earth to hold yourself open and offer to carry my burden. I visited the American Southwest for the first time earlier this year. I spent a week exploring remote areas of southeastern Arizona along the border of New Mexico. As someone who has always lived around water, I, candidly, didn't think I was going to get much out of the desert. The whole point is that it's just dry, right? But I found the expansive sky and rolling hills to be just as mesmerizing and calming as rolling waves. What I expected to be a monotonous field of beige was actually a mosaic of ruddy browns, rich terracotta, and ochre. It clearly held so much life. And yet... This glorious landscape has long been sacrificed to extractive industries. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Grace Lynch, and this is As She Rises. For our second season, we're telling the stories of climate progress that give us the hope we need to keep going. Today, we're in the Pueblo and Navajo Nations, the poem you heard at the top of the show was Dinetta by Laura Tohi. This season, we're excited to collaborate with The Slowdown, hosted by Ada Limon. From American Public Media and in partnership with the Poetry Foundation, The Slowdown delivers a different way to see the world, through poetry. The poets you hear this season will also be featured on The Slowdown this week. I encourage you to listen to The Slowdown to hear more by Laura. My name is Laura Tohi, and I am the current Navajo Nation Poet Laureate. 
I'm also Professor Emeritus from Arizona State University, and I am a mother and grandmother. I currently live in Mesa, Arizona, but home for me is on the Navajo Nation homeland in uh, Arizona and New Mexico, where I grew up. And that's how I define myself as a Diné woman. Dineta can have a few translations, but in the context of her poem, Laura told me it means the people's homeland. It evokes how the landscape is indivisible from its people. I feel so much a part of that land, and I'm, I'm from there. My mother buried my birth stem there. And to me, it's beautiful, and it's who I am. It's what the earth has inspired in me to write these poems. The poems are about standing in this land that's that's making me strong, that's, you know, that's given me sustenance, that's given me purpose, that's given me inspiration to write these poems. And I know it's always going to be there waiting for me, speaking to me and comforting me with all its beauty and, and telling me that this is where you come from. I also think that it's telling me that this is where I exist, that this is existence for me as a woman, as a Diné woman connected to a special place. And I think it's also telling me that that I should enjoy these surroundings because I am a part of it and beauty sits in these places. And I talk about beauty not so much as aesthetic beauty, although there is that in this canyon, but it can also be defined as a spiritual harmony, spiritual uh, connectedness. And I see that in these places like that in Dinetka. So I like to think that I am dressed with the beauty of the land and this poem. I want to express that beauty. Above ground, the area is a rich historical homeland. But more recently... Outsiders have taken an interest in what's under the surface. Mining and fracking operations have left permanent scars on the land and the people. In fact, air pollution in New Mexico is so bad that even rural areas have smog levels as high as you'd find in Los Angeles or Houston. These extractive industries forever change the landscape. There was a... uh coal company that set up business just on the Navajo Nation between, it was near Window Rock, Arizona, which is the capital of the Navajo Nation. And for years, they extracted coal. And every week, you'd see a bigger and bigger hole appearing on the earth. And the sagebrush trees and the pinon and the uh, juniper trees that grew there, all of those were gone. And to see that the way it used to be, and then to see how it gradually changed week by week and how this bigger and bigger hole started to take in place. It just almost felt like this hole was coming out of your own body, you know, and it was disturbing to see that. Eventually, Laura told me, the mining operation closed. The company attempted to refill the land they'd used and dug up, but it wasn't enough. You still remember that story of this big hole in the earth, and now there's these trees are starting to grow back. But that story will always be there. 
Another thing that happened was because there weren't these trees that were holding down the earth, wind would pick up that dust and blow it into people's communities and homelands and places. You again saw the rise of illnesses associated with, you know, emphysema and asthma and and all these kinds of diseases. So that's the sacrifice, you know, I'm talking about, you know, we not only sacrifice our land, but we're also sacrificing our bodies. You know, in a way, it's almost like another kind of genocide that's happening to Native peoples is, you know, the way companies have not taken into consideration what has happened to our, our bodies and to our communities and to our, or to our Mother Earth. I think that people have these assumptions that just because it's a desert, that there's nothing there. And it's not important. You know, maybe there is some wealth under the earth, some resource under the earth. And that word resource is a very westernized term because it's connected with, I think, commerce and with money. But the net people don't see the earth as a resource. You know, it's the earth as our mother. And I think that's where we have a lot of this misunderstanding from the way Native people interpret the land and the earth is different from the way Westerners interpret the land and the earth. The idea that this landscape is devoid of life could not be further from the truth. Not far from the rich homeland where Laura grew up is the greater Chaco region. Up in the northwest corner of New Mexico, It's an area of land about the size of Massachusetts. It's home to thousands of Diné and Puebloan families, as well as one of the most important cultural landscapes in the U.S. At its heart is Chaco Culture National Historical Park and Chaco Canyon, monuments and architectural feats built by Puebloans as far back as 700 A.D. cover the landscape. But today... 91% of public land in northwest New Mexico is leased for drilling. Most of the remaining 9% is in the greater Chaco area, which leaves this land ever more vulnerable to encroaching oil companies. So, how did this storied land turn into an open call for extractive industries? So, in the 70s, Nixon declared this area as an energy sacrifice zone, meaning that this area could be exploited for oil and gas production without even considering the impacts that it was going to have to communities and the landscape and watersheds. That's Julia Bernal, director of the Pueblo Action Alliance, or PAA. It's a community-driven organization promoting cultural sustainability and community defense. Julia is an enrolled member of the Sandia Pueblo. And she's referring back to Nixon's 1973 decision to turn the Four Corners, the area where Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, and Utah all meet, into an energy sacrifice zone. If that sounds callous, it's because it is. It meant that these areas, regardless of the communities or ecosystems in place, could be sacrificed for the extractive industry of a developer's choosing. And this legacy is still continuing to this day. And it just really displays this innate racism towards indigenous people who continue to live and steward these landscapes. 
And to deem an energy sacrifice zone is basically to say like there's nothing here you can extract as much as you want. You know, there's still so much spiritual and cultural resources in that region that Pueblo people really do still use in terms of like our own traditional and cultural practices. Within the greater Chaco region is a place central to the histories and traditions of many indigenous tribes, Chaco Canyon. It's a vast stretch of land that reminds you of just how small you are. You're surrounded by high walls of striped stone carved with petroglyphs of the people and animals that walked these paths hundreds if not thousands of years ago. The canyon is made up of several pockets of ancient structures built into the landscape, stone walls and buildings that have survived the test of time. Some hold hundreds of rooms and reach up to four or five stories high. They were built with the lunar and solar cycles in mind, oriented to align with solstices that filled the expansive sky overhead. Remains of dams, canals, and basins tell us that this area was highly cultivated and likely teeming with greenery. Julia told me that at one time, Chaco Canyon was essentially a world trade center. It's really amazing when I bring youth to Chaco because immediately I see folks really starting to imagine what that place was like when our ancestors were there. We would walk through the rooms and joke around like, oh, you know, the aunties were probably gossiping over here. You know, it's just, it's amazing to really think about what culture and lifestyles were happening in that region. And we're able to like think of these different memories because it's just passed on through our genetics. It's passed on through us. And and so being there, it almost provides the surreal understanding of who our ancestors were. And it's in a sense recharging and refreshing to then bring those experiences back into the work that we do now, because ultimately what we do in terms of protection is to also protect our culture and our traditional life ways. Chaco Canyon is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, a national historic park, and a dark sky park, one of the few places where the view at night is still exceptionally clear. More than two dozen tribes continue to hold the region as sacred. But during the day, if you drive through northwestern New Mexico, the land is pockmarked by imposing structures, oil wells. After decades of being a sacrifice zone, a coalition sprang up to try and protect the greater Chaco region. In 2017, the PAA joined an ongoing campaign called Frack Off Chaco. It's a coalition that brings together indigenous community leaders and nonprofits to preserve the greater Chaco region. The mission was to stop fracking in the area, usher in meaningful and equitable tribal consultation, protect the wellness of local communities, and assure environmental justice in the aftermath. The coalition had leaders at multiple levels, including some who worked with the EPA and representatives in D.C. directly. Still, Julia found herself coming up against an immovable force. Total denial. I remember one lobbying trip where we had a field geologist tell us that fracking didn't have any sort of environmental impact to landscapes. And we sat there and we were like, 
have you ever been out to the region? Like, have you ever like stepped foot on the soil? The folks that live in that region and have been living with the natural world can see the impacts that even the wildlife was having from the oil and gas activity. On that same trip, Julia told me, one of her PAA members proved the geologist wrong with a simple story. As a child, Julia's colleague saw snakes from the region bury themselves underground in the winter to hibernate. When it was warm enough in the spring, they'd come out again. But once fracking took hold in the area, the snakes couldn't burrow anymore. And he was saying that a lot of them would eventually just end up dying on the surface because they couldn't handle the freeze. And he went on to say that, how could you tell me that this landscape isn't being impacted while you're not out there and I see this happening to our non-human relatives? There's obviously something going on underground that we don't see, we don't hear, but it's impacting the landscape. And there was just like dead silence after. Because how could you argue with a story like that? And so that just to me was like a very pivotal moment in my own advocacy, if you will, because traditional ecological knowledge really does surpass like any sort of Western understanding. And we can't fully just rely on like the findings from the science relating to oil and gas because we're a pro-oil and gas country, you know? We've built this empire off of oil and gas production. It's just a reminder that we really do need to center lived experiences of the peoples that have lived and inhabited these landscapes for time and memorial and generations and generations. That's a pivotal point in terms of how we're going to adapt to, to changing climate. The PAA took their campaign local, focusing on equipping members of their community with information about federal fossil fuel leasing programs, processes that typically are pretty opaque to the public. That education led to a grassroots mobilization that expanded beyond the Pueblo Nation. Their neighbors, the Diné, or Navajo, have also suffered from the invasion of extractive industries into the land. The health and well-being of their fellow tribal nation was a large part of what galvanized their community. Before colonization, we weren't just on a reservation. We were able to freely roam and be in different areas of the Southwest. And these geopolitical boundaries and borders have really severed that ability for us to go to these different landscapes. And, and that's also just another impact of colonialism and how that has, you know, essentially separated us from other communities. And so a lot of the a lot of the work that we've been doing in the Chaco region has also been about creating that solidarity between Pueblo people and Diné folks. You know, when we first started getting into protecting the Chaco region, it was more about like we have to protect a sacred landscape. But now our narrative has shifted to include public health and other environmental impacts because of that relationship building that we've been really centering in our organizing efforts. Then, in 2021, the coalition got a big break. Deb Holland, who is a member of the Laguna Pueblo, became the first indigenous person to hold a cabinet position when she was confirmed as Secretary of the Interior. 
Now the Department of the Interior is tasked with management of public lands, national parks, and upholding federal responsibilities to indigenous nations. It was the exact department that the coalition was petitioning to protect the greater Chaco region. Secretary Holland's appointment represents a meaningful shift in federal land management, and it highlights just how exclusionary these systems continue to be. We definitely support the actions coming from our relative, Secretary Holland, you know, who's from Laguna Pueblo and and is very actually close with our organization as well. And we also need to acknowledge that she is assuming a position, a federal position, that is a government that was never intended to be helpful for Indigenous people or was a system that was meant for us. And so we have to always challenge what the dominant paradigm is because Indigenous worldview really challenges it. On November 15th, 2021, just eight months after Deb Holland's confirmation, the coalition finally saw progress. The Department of the Interior announced steps to protect the greater Chaco region. A 10-mile area surrounding Chaco Culture National Historical Park will be protected from oil and gas drilling for at least the next 20 years. Immediate plans involve making sure the land's management is led by tribal consultations and to ensure the protection of sacred sites, stories, and cultural resources. Julia said that Secretary Holland's commitment to including Indigenous knowledge in the next phase of land management is unprecedented. But this isn't the end of the story. These new protections only stop new drilling permits. Existing ones are still operational. The Bureau of Land Management continues to consider additional leases for drilling outside of the protected region. And just last week... President Biden announced he planned to expand oil and gas drilling on public lands. So while these new protections are a meaningful step in the right direction, there's still so much more to do. This is a step for for communities to participate in how this region is going to be managed in the future. But we hope that organizations like PAA, Diné Care, and other folks that are a part of our Chaco Coalition can be really involved and be an integral voice on how this process is going to move forward. There needs to be a change. There needs to be shifts in how we're managing land and water and how we're including communities that are impacted by fossil fuel industries. That needs to happen. And of course, there also needs to be that meaningful tribal consultation piece because Tribal nations have cultural stake in how these landscapes are managed. A lot of us feel like, you know, this is a step in the right direction. We just want to make sure that it's meaningful, that it actually does implement change and could be a model for other landscapes across the so-called U.S. because there are other regions like in Alaska and Texas that are also experiencing oil and gas production, fracking. And so those landscapes also need to be protected just as much as Chaco. Right now, the Bureau of Land Management is taking public comments on the proposed plan in Chaco. If you visit the Pueblo Action Alliance website, you can sign on to the coalition's call for increased protections for the region. 
protections that would address more of the existing damage to local communities and protect more land from future harm. Comments are due May 6th, so if you're looking for a tangible action to take this Earth Day, I highly recommend you head to PuebloActionAlliance.org. You can also find the link in our episode notes. Fifty years ago, our government relegated this region, and by extension the people who call it home, as sacrificial. Sacrificial in the pursuit of capitalism and imperial dominance. And the journey to rectify this oppression is far from over. Yet I'm encouraged that our concept of what is worth sacrificing may be changing. And those who see the true beauty and importance of this land have louder microphones than ever before. If there's anything I took away from Laura and Julia, it's that people and land are indivisible from one another. Pursuing healing for both is what keeps Julia going. We, as an organization, always talk about, you know, what happens to land happens to our bodies, and what happens to our bodies happens to the land. And so as we are trying to think deeply about what it means to implement decolonial practices or think about how we are going to undo these cycles of oppression, that also includes how we're going to like heal our communities from generational and historic trauma, which also includes the violence that has been impacted on the land. So colonialism, capitalism, imperialism have all been like very violent acts to indigenous peoples and their land bases. And so when we talk about what that means to us, communities and land and water are all interwoven with each other. And so ultimately undoing those generations of colonialism is also an act of, of healing ourselves and our land bases. All season, we're celebrating and acknowledging the incredible work it takes to move just one step forward in protecting our planet and the people on it. To read more of Laura's poetry, check out Laura Tohe, that's T-O-H-E, dot com. And again, please head to PuebloActionAlliance.org to support Julia's crucial work and to add your public comment to furthering protections in Chaco. As She Rises is a Wonder Media Network production. It's created by myself, Grace Lynch. Our executive producer is Jenny Kaplan. Emily Rudder is our managing producer. The show is produced by myself, Lindsay Cradwell, and Liz Smith, with research and writing by Carmen Borca Carrillo and Ale Tejeda, with original music by Andrea Christian's daughter, and editorial support by Aya Lane. Until next time. Before you go, I want to tell you about another show I think you might like. Created and hosted by award-winning journalist Farai Chidea, Our Body Politic is an independent and nationally syndicated radio show and podcast centering the experiences and impact of Black women and women of color in today's news. Each week, Chidea candidly examines past and present major political events and issues in health, education, economics, and more with world-shaping guests like Jenny Monet of Indigenously and Nicole Hannah-Jones, 
author of The 1619 Project. Catch new episodes of Our Body Politic every Friday on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey listeners, Grace here. The climate crisis is literally the world's biggest existential problem, but we can't begin to solve it if we don't know how to talk about it first. On Crooked Media's newest podcast, Hot Take, climate essayists Mary Anaise Heglar and Amy Westervelt provide an honest look at the climate crisis and all the ways media and society are talking and not talking about it. Listen to new episodes of Hot Take every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. You can listen to every episode of As She Rises, including those from the newest season, ad-free with Wondery Plus. Find Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.